morning, um, but we're, as we've said, thankful to hear, thankful to, uh, for these guys to get to go to hear what the Lord did there in Nepal. We invested heavily in that. We are in Ecclesiastes in our sermon series right now we're going through, so we'll return to that next week uh, as we get back to a more normal time for us. <clears throat> Verse 2 of Psalm 67, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. And that's really the theme of what we've tried to hit is God's saving power among the nations. What is his saving power among the nations? But it's the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the content of the gospel, the accomplishments of Jesus Christ and the benefits of those accomplishments for those who believe. Paul would say in Romans as he would begin his missionary endeavor, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Often we get confused kind of when it comes to sharing the gospel. We can start to leave out the gospel content. We start to share testimony or or how we feel or or we, we maybe offer people, here's some purpose for life, here's a relationship with Jesus. And those things are, are important. Those things are part of, of maybe how we share the gospel. But the power unto salvation is the content of the gospel itself, the accomplishments of Jesus Christ and those benefits. And often then we can confuse the benefits. We start to promise in our gospel message, our evangelism sounds a little more like self-help at times. Like, you know, we can help you find purpose. We can help you find happiness. We can help your life be better. And yes, maybe those are benefits of the gospel, but not in the way that we often offer them, as if the gospel is some magic potion for blessing. The benefits of the gospel are directly related to the accomplishments of Jesus Christ. Look how Psalm 67 starts. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us. And make his face to shine upon us. This benediction here from the psalm, this, this call for God to bless us. But we see that this doesn't just happen in a vacuum. This isn't just some sort of magic potion that we can pray, that I can offer, that can be granted unto you for just randomly calling upon the blessing of the Lord as if we can live our lives and just sprinkle a little bit of this prayer on there for blessing and for God's face to shine upon us and for some sort of success. This... Uh, Psalm 67, this verse here, this benediction grows out of Numbers in chapter 6, verses 24 to 26, which is the ironic blessing. There it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. What a beautiful divine benediction. What a prayer. But we see that this blessing is is built upon the covenants of Scripture. It's built upon the biblical covenants of Scripture. It's built upon those theological covenants between God the Father and God the Son. As you would think of John 17, that high priestly prayer where God promises to save people. And Jesus Christ promises that He will accomplish accomplish the purpose of the Father. And this blessing grows out of really the Abrahamic covenant. But again, the blessing isn't just randomly to be offered. It it stands upon something. It stands upon God's Word. It stands upon being obedient to God's Word. 
And as you start tracing the covenant and you start tracing these blessings through Scripture, you see that along with the blessing is also a curse. There is a blessing for obedience, a blessing for worshiping God, for loving Him, to seeking Him. But with it, there is a curse for those who do not worship, those who do not seek God, those who do not seek His face. You see it all the way back into Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve in the garden. In this blessed relationship that they share, in this paradise of the garden, righteousness before their God, this fellowship in a unique way. And yet there is an obligation of how they must relate to God the Father, and they violate that, they break that. And immediately the curse enters. The promised curse comes. You see it to the serpent. He's cursed. He would slide upon his belly, be the lowest of the beasts, eat dust for the rest of his life until he returns to dust. You see it on Eve and the multiplied pain and childbearing. And with this blessing of child, yet there is this curse with it. And then you see it especially with Adam on this curse. That he will be cursed now to labor in this creation that experienced the curse. And all of his toil and all of his sweat will bring pain and will bring disappointment. And he will toil thorns and thistles until he returns to dust. And he will return to dust because part of that curse is death and separation from his God. So you see blessing and you see curse. That continues on. You have the Abrahamic covenant and then the law of Moses is is set up then to how then should we relate to our God? What is our obligation as God calls out a people for himself? Flip to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Give you an example of in this law as you relate, there is blessing And there is curse. The beginning of chapter 28, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. And all the blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and blessed the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and it goes on. Basically, you will be blessed everywhere, blessed in the home, blessed in the work, for those who obey the command of the Lord. But he continues, and you read in verse 15, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all these commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, Cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall you be, shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in. Cursed when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion and frustration and all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. And you begin to see this curse motif that God has given us commands and if we can obey those, we can obey those perfectly, there is blessing. But for those who do not, there is curse. And then you see it continue in the prophets. You have the the wheel and the woe oracles. Wheel, the ones of, of blessing, where they promise blessing for obedience, covenant faithfulness to their God. But then you see it in the woes. 
those oracles of doom, those, those oracles of cursing, of judgment and punishment for those who do not obey their God. You kind of see it reach its climax a little bit in Isaiah chapter 6, as Isaiah would even curse himself as he would see God in his holiness and realize there is no way I can live to that perfection. And he would say, woe is me. Literally, cursed am I, for I am unclean. And you begin to see this grow and develop through Scripture. And then as we look now at this psalm in Psalm 67, as we look really at what it's quoting and uh, the ironic blessing, as it's calling for blessing, it's kind of works in parallel. There's three stanzas with two parts in each of these stanzas. As you would look at it in Numbers, the Lord bless you. What does that mean? It means He will keep you. The next one, the Lord make His face to shine upon you. What does that mean? He'll be gracious. The next one, the Lord lift up His countenance. He will give you peace. And so the first part of all of these stanzas stand in parallel. They, they're saying the same thing. They give us a, an understanding of what does it mean then for God to bless you? It means that His face will shine upon you. What does that mean even more than His countenance? That, that the glory of God, the light of His face, His graciousness, His goodness would flood over you, would overflow in your life. Isn't that what Moses pleaded for is, Lord, just a glimpse of your glory, just a glimpse of your countenance, of your goodness, of your graciousness. And that helps us understand what the curse is. The curse is the exact opposite of that. It is to experience God's anger. It is to have God cast you aside. It is to be separated from God. Flip to Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Take a time, I'll go ahead and start reading as you flip there. It says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Do you see what is happening here? Jesus himself is absorbing that curse. He is becoming a curse so that the divine benediction of blessing and countenance and, and God's light shining upon us can be true. For Jesus, this isn't a divine benediction. It's a divine malediction. It would read something like this. May the Lord curse you and abandon you. May he keep you in darkness and give you only judgment. May, his, may He turn His back on you. May He remove His peace far from you. Do you realize this was the experience of Jesus Christ? Not so we can have a blessing that we can just sprinkle on, but so that we can experience the presence of God and it be grace and peace, not judgment and punishment. 
He had to become that curse. You see it as he hung on the tree. Darkness falls. As he hangs on that cross, the light, the countenance of God turns totally away and darkness takes over. You see it most painfully in his cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is cursed. So that we, trusting in Jesus, can stand and say, God, bless me indeed. Let your light to shine upon me. And instead of you looking upon me and me being consumed, instead I find grace and I find peace because of the work, the accomplishments of Jesus Christ. That is the content of the gospel. There's three words that are important to know. If you forget the words, it's fine, but the definitions. Propitiation, imputation, and expiation. Propitiation is is that the Son does something to satisfy the wrath of the Father. That is, He hung on the cross. That is the Passover lamb sacrifice. That is what we celebrate in the Lord's table. That is, He hung on the church hung on the tree he took the curse he became a curse he is that passover lamb absorbing satisfying the wrath of the father for us but do you remember there was another sacrifice it wasn't just the passover lamb remember the other one was the goat the scapegoat where the prophet would come and he would lay the priest would come and he would lay his hands on the back of that goat that scapegoat and symbolically transferring the sins of the people onto that goat. That is imputation. Him taking those sins. And you remember that goat survived. They didn't just kill it right then. You remember what happens to that scapegoat? We learn about it further in Hebrews. They then take that goat and they, they forsake it. They cast it outside of the city. They send it into the wilderness. It is forsaken by God. That's what the writers of Hebrews tells us. After Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice, it talks about Him suffering outside the camp for us. That is expiation. Sin laid on, taken away. As far as the east is from the west, Jesus Christ cast off, forsaken by God, so that we can be blessed. That is why Jesus died as He did outside of the city at the hands of Gentiles, on a cross, cursed, forsaken, outside the city. Expiation to take our sins away, to send them out. And so now we get to Psalm 67. And we can say, not just lightly and flippantly, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. He can do that because the Son became a curse for you. That is the content of the Gospel and that is the benefit of the Gospel. That we enjoy the presence of God, that we experience that relationship with God, that Jesus Christ is in our midst, that the Holy Spirit indwells us, and we are not immediately consumed, but we find grace and peace, and He does not forsake us, but He keeps us. That's the gospel content, that's the gospel benefit. And now we see the purpose of God for that, and it becomes our mission 
to take that message to the nations that you, look in verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, that your saving power among all the nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So our mission becomes this, to make Him known, namely His saving power to the nations, the content of the gospel, the accomplishments of Christ, and the attending benefits for those who believe. That we make known His perfect justice and righteousness, that He rules and He judges with perfect equity. We saw in Ecclesiastes last week, in this age that is passing away, life under the sun, you look for justice and you won't find it, you'll find wickedness. But you look for justice in Christ and you will find perfect righteousness and equity. And here it is, no matter who you are, where you're from, whatever your social status might be, we all have the same problem. And we all have the same remedy. We are under a curse. And the remedy is this. He has become a curse for us. And our purpose, our mission comes to make Him known. Secondly, not only that He would be known, but also that He would be feared. We see that at the end of Psalm 67. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. Not you quake in terror of him, but you realize his claim upon every nation, on every soul. You realize his greatness and his sovereign power, and you submit to his kingdom first, his righteousness first. Again, Ecclesiastes, what's the conclusion of the whole matter? Fear God and keep his commandments. That he would be known, that he would be feared, and finally that he would be worshipped. Look at all those words through there. The people would be glad in Him. That they would rejoice in Him. That they would delight in Him. Let the peoples praise You. Let all the peoples praise You. This is the outcome of Jesus' accomplishments. As we make known the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into marvelous light, is that His name is lifted high, that he is made known, that he is renowned. Brother Mark, will you come up for just a moment to close our service? I want him to take just a couple minutes. He promised he won't turn this into a sermon. He he recognizes the time. And see the accomplishments of Jesus Christ and what that means to let the people praise you.
told that story last night, and I thought, what a perfect ending to this sermon. As the gospel goes forward, the power of the gospel, in order that he might be praised, that the people praise you. God, we are thankful for your people. We're thankful for your word.